Hi, and welcome to And Just Like What? Where Sex in the City super fans tell the truth and nothing but the truth about the reboot and just like that. My name is Ricky. And I'm Meredith. And we're your co-hosts. It's been a little minute it's since the last minute. time. Yep. It's been 5,625 no, no. minutes. It goes like this. 525,600 minutes. minutes. I know because my four-year-old loves that song. <gasps> oh, oh, How about he loves love. <laughs> oh my God, your mic just cut out for me. It just, it was a system overload, Meredith. <laughs> it couldn't That's, handle my Mariah Carey pitch. We have perfect pitch, but you know what's really perfect is just you and me together talking about the thing that really brought us together. And I think that was our love of Sex and the City. It's funny that I'm, whenever I read other people's commentary on Sex and the City, there's so much good stuff online. Just just set it up as one of your topics on your Apple News and you'll get a lot. But it always surprises me when people talk about their deep love for Sex and the City. But like, oh, I discovered it when I was in college or I discovered it when I was like a communications major or like working in New York or or from like some t- tiny little mosquito town in northern yes. Saskatchewan, whatever. <laughs> exactly. But every time I'm like, what? Really? It's not just me? It's not just me. It's like there's a real... Thing about this. Remember when we first started, like years ago, we first started the first version of this podcast and we went into this art store and we were both like, we just started a podcast. It's about sex in the city. And this girl behind the counter was looked at us with the blankest stare and we were so shocked and dismayed. And I think like disappointed in her. We're like, okay, well, first of all, we feel like we're a million years old. Yeah. But second of all, why don't you know about this? Exactly. Why doesn't everyone know? It And I think it is reflective, really, of a time. And so I know that you're, you're Gen X. Yes. I'm what is actually considered a Gen X millennial cusp. Oh, you're on the cusp. I'm, I'm jealous of that. Yeah, I'm early 83. So I had a cell phone in high school, and it was like one of those like really thick... <laughs> brick ones yes that you could play like snake on the nokia like yes 3390 or something yes okay yes 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 um and my first hotmail account i think i got it in grade nine. Ah, oh, i still so have it it was like i was there you were there at I was all there. of the you were at the birth of everything like this you know yeah like peak tv happened for us peak tv like happened and then, yes but hbo then, in general and we were there for peak, like, when everything changed to digital and streaming and everything. Yeah. Like, we were really cognizant of all these, like, eras. Because when I first started out, I was, like, peak Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And then I went yes. to peak, you know, Batman drive-in movie, movies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Then peak, you know, everything. I felt like everything was peaking peak at all times in my life. Oh, peak blockbuster renting five for five five movies for five dollars for five days does anyone else know that five for five i remember i tried to go into blockbuster in vancouver i think it was like very close to berard on broadway there was a blockbuster there when i lived in vancouver oh and the last time i went in i remember having an argument with the sales guy who was this young kind of hip looking (laughs) sales guy with like thick glasses and anyways 
I wanted five for five, and the movies that I picked, he said they weren't eligible for five for five. I, so I left Blockbuster at a huff and never went back because it closed. <laughs> yes, and look how it went for them. Maybe they should have thought about some of this. Yeah. They were pretty rigid about the five for five. Yeah, pretty rigid to their detriment. <laughs> now they're Anyways, dead. it's it's just funny because it does feel like yeah. it, it's, so, it's so evocative of this time period, this era, this like... Because Sex and the City was so groundbreaking when it came out because it was like, let's do a whole show about women that still pretty awful in some of their themes. Oh, and sure. Content. But, but, but we it can't focused look back. just on them. It focused just on their stories. Yes. but And put yourself in a 90s mindset about how things kind of like were changing, were changing. They were on the cusp of a lot of big changes in the world and a lot of mentality changes. You and I were just talking about you know, DEI, equity in the workspace, um, you know, anti-oppressive language and all that type of stuff. Do you think anyone in the world was really talking about that when Sex and the City started? It was just instinct. You know what I mean? If there was any of that type of thing in the show or any consideration, it was just instincts that they had. But they were telling the truth at the time. They were telling the truth. And I think what was groundbreaking about it was that it, it took like a really honest look at female friendships in a way that was like warm and not mm. dismissive or catty or always through a male lens. And and oh, it also put right. stars in TV, right? Because like That's Kim Cattrall true. and SJP were, were movie stars. Absolutely. They were big stars. And like this, you know, was the real star vehicle for them that was in TV. That's interesting because that wasn't happening. Well, it was the birth of well not of not the birth of HBO it was but it was the birth of HBO as a TV juggernaut. Oh, it was one of their original flagship shows. It yes. was like sexy, it was risqué. Like were there penises in in the first? Mm, no penises. Not not one. Not oh oh you saw um something really quick with uh what's his name? The um big conglomerate like megalomaniac guy that Samantha dates. What's his name? Has a gross teeth. You see a wheel? Oh, well, interesting. Like, I mean, that's classic HBO. You know, you know the guy who owned all the hotels and she was Samantha's, he was Samantha's client. What was his name again? Richard. Oh, Richard. Richard. You did see a slight penis when he dived, he dove into a pool once. Oh. (laughs) When they fell in love and they put Sade on. I can't, (laughs) (laughs) I can't separate him from um, Dexter. Oh, I I didn't see Dexter. So to me, he's clearly only in the Sex and the City universe. Yeah. So it took Ricky and I a little while, but we just watched the documentary. Yes. So we need to report. We need to report on this. I wish that every show TV had a do- show had a behind the scenes documentary. Me too. It was so much. So many of the questions we asked all throughout this podcast and with our guests, even like for the cookies, where a lot of them were answered. A lot of those questions were answered in this documentary. It was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting. So I watched it with my partner, uh, Stafford, who is a professional actor. So he mm-hmm. does spend a lot of time on set. And my, both my kids actually watched it too. <laughs> I think they, they thought it was kind of colorful and, you know, they were very entertained. Wow. I love your kids so much. I mean, just the <laughs> fact that they're into Rent yeah, they is love great rent. too. Love it. <laughs> love it. Anyways. Um, so, but what was interesting about watching it with Stafford is that 
he, he's worked a lot on um, TV shows and movies. And so he has a lived experience. And then in my 20s, I also worked as an actor and did spend also a lot of time on films and sets. And I thought it was interesting our responses to seeing the mind-boggling <sighs> amount of work and time oh. that goes into making a TV show. And his oh, response was like, God. oh, I can't wait until I'm back on set. Like, it's just so much fun. And really? my response was like, those are fucking 16-hour days. Like, oh. you're lucky to get home. Like, you get picked up by 6 in the morning by transport. You're lucky to get home before midnight. And then you start six hours later. And then you start again. There was that scene where Sarah Jessica Parker was getting stuffed back into that taxi after her scenes in Paris. And she's like, see you at 6 a.m. on Thursday. You know, like that. And she just flew the red eye back, maybe got 12 hours at home and she's back at it. You know, there is no rest for the for the wicked on on that show. No, and, and it's on on any show really. Like on it, any show, yeah. Like there's so much glamour associated with being in the industry. And yes, okay, yes. There there's a lot of great bonuses for talent. Like mm-hmm. you get to do the red carpets, you get to do like the film shows, the film Yeah, awards. and hopefully you're making a lot of money. <laughs> and you're making a lot of money. But but then the downside is is that the expectation for work is is crazy. Like, like one of the first shows I ever was on was this Canadian TV show about like horses, and I was but in a famous Canadian TV show, a pretty famous Canadian TV show. And I was in like the first five, on and off in the first five seasons. And I was in the first episode of of this show, and we shot from I think I was on set again at six, and we shot. We had to have full lights outside of this barn to pretend it was day because we shot until like after midnight. <sighs> That was like my first time on set. Oh. Like it was like a 20-hour day. And so so there are regulations if it's a union shoot. So you do make mm-hmm. time and a half if mm-hmm. you're there for longer than like 8 hours not including your lunch. But still it sounds like I'm complaining. It's just like a certain type no, of person. No, but yeah, a certain type of person. Well, who's built for this? Well, and then it's so intense. So intense and then you have a certain type of person like well, two certain types of people. Michael Patrick King is painted as such a psycho in this documentary. You know what I mean? You're like, this man is insane to work with. I have to say. I the the subtext of all of this and like the poem that what's her name made about him and like about him dying and he's buried and his body rot is rotting underneath the apartment. Like this was not necessarily great. Like he loves that he's a monster. I think. He loves it. He thinks it's hilarious. But then also the time. That the extra time that Sarah Jessica Parker puts into all of this is intense. Like her looking at every single shoe, how it's arranged in her closet to make it live up to her world, you know, to 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 fit into her world of Carrie is just I can't believe it. I actually really loved that. Oh, I loved it. And it was similar to what we talked about with Kevin last time he was here about the importance of like set deck and about props. reality reality yeah because like Sarah Jessica Parker is is fantastic she's a fantastic fantastic actor oh. and it, I, it was really interesting I thought f- to see that that's part of her method that because you'd have to be a little bit I think insane to do some of her scenes and just be like openly weeping 
with like 10 takes. But for her, she creates that by like building an environment that she feels like she could actually live in, that this is like a space that... It's really happening. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, she, and, and she, like, of course, you're going to have back law, back copies of Vogue in your closet. Absolutely. Like, of course, you're going to have CDs. Like, of, like I, love, of I love that. Like a and cup like, of tea. And it's exactly... Well, it was really... It was she did the right thing. She went in there and just like this is a store. This is like a a display unit at like Banana Republic. Not mm-hmm. even you know what I mean. Like, um, and all of the things that she said, it was just really funny. She's like maybe some CDs, maybe some folks. They're like writing it down. They did exactly what she said. There was no room for like creativity after she said it, and it was all perfect. Like when she chose those Manolo Blahniks for those for that scene going going to the concert, how they were a little little off. And when she pulled them out, it was the right thing. Had they been perfect, it wouldn't have had the impact. So the human touch was there. So so in the world of the show, do they have a cleaning lady who comes in and like dusts her shoe shelves? How does she not have dust? <laughs> she does not. She has a cleaning team go into that place. It's all shiny surfaces. It's all... It's all glass and like lacquer. Oh my yeah. God, it must be a nightmare. But they never show. The only person they've ever shown work for anyone was Magdalena yeah. um, for Miranda. And they didn't even actually talk about her. Did She She must have died. No, like they the, didn't even address her. They didn't even address her at all. That which I found um, kind of interesting. Magdalena, remember she was in Hunger Games? It was she really was? funny. She was one of the, yeah, she was in Hunger Games and she was one of the people in the game. Magdalena. Oh, she was like the old lady who gets selected, yes. who gets killed? Oh, yes. wow. And she had like long hair. Anyway. Um, <laughs> things I learned. Yeah, from they you. didn't really do that. Yeah, the things that yeah, you learned from me. So, I, so this is my completely unsolicited opinion that no one is asking for and I probably shouldn't be sharing. Oh. But watching the documentary made me continue to love Sarah Jessica Parker and her slightly very intense leadership mm. a little maybe a little bit I mean I she was always respectful but she is yeah. like 190% in I didn't really love Cynthia Nixon no <laughs> she was very off-putting right but it also reinforced my newfound love for Kristen, Kristen Davis. Davis. Kristen Davis was just heart and pray emoji emojis that she was on set and working. <laughs> Hashtag grateful. <laughs> she was grateful that she was working and there. And it's happening again, like that she was still allowed to be this character, which she's actually, never been able to do again. I actually really liked how she talked about um, Charlotte's energy. Because when I was acting, I would think about characters' energy in the same way, where she's like, Charlotte's like, and Cynthia wanted me to be more like, and I was like, I get that. I get your language. I Right, yes. It's like she could only beatbox what the feeling was as an actor for that. But Cynthia, okay, Cynthia Nixon, I have a note here, actually. The details are incredible, but Cynthia Nixon ruined the show. Because, well... She she was an executive producer on this show, right? And got to influence the whole Che versus Nyla storyline and brought in, like, she. a lot of her instincts were wrong for what yes. the show needed, I have to say. And, like, they were forging so far forward and really giving her, and at, rightly so, as one of the queer producers, they were really giving her a lot of 
room to to kind of like craft the storyline and they shouldn't have sorry <laughs> i i agree like that because she actually talks about what the the part that ricky was referring to there is that she taught which we brought up before on mm-hmm. our past episodes she talks about that originally miranda and naya are supposed to have a romance yes but she felt like it didn't make sense so they wanted to introduce che who like, we all know is now the most hated character on television. Yeah, it's it was weird because I thought when she was talking about... Remember I said that when Naya first came on? I was like, oh, they're going to fall in love. There's something about that that... It didn't seem... it That might have seemed kind of like that happens. You meet maybe a professor, you fall in love with... You know, they both like fall in love that way. But the way that they constructed this podcast and Carrie's relationship with Che and Che being there... It does look like a Band-Aid solution. It doesn't seem very natural. It didn't no. seem very organic. No. So there you go. No, it doesn't. And yeah, it, there seemed to be something more consistent with the character for her to actually fall in love with Naya because Miranda is really c- cerebral. Like she can panic and An be crazy. Academic. Yes. Academic. But... She's interested in ideas. And like, so to, to fall in love with this woman who was, Naya is extremely beautiful, but to connect in that way first. I agree. Missed, I agree. A missed, missed opportunity, opportunity. Or, or ignored opportunity, you know, that they had right there, you know, but somehow she had to like change it up. Um, one thing that was interesting when we were, I was watching, I was watching with my friend Sarah, who's visiting me right now. And um, that whole, you better step up your pussy scene was, and they put it in the documentary. Like that was the greatest scene. Like this Che character could say something like that, you know? And I just still was so offended. Like, if someone told me to uh, step up your dick, you know what I mean? Like better, better point that dick in the right direction. I would be, I would end it. Done. You're done. I hate you. I'll never talk to you again. I never want to see you. Don't talk about my pussy. And then, um, and Sarah said a really good thing about this is, this perpetuates the myth that queer people are oversexed and aggressive. Exactly. That gay women are like just, you know what I mean? Like predatory, like predatorial and talking about your damn pussy and want want to do something with you that's wrong not without consent or like salivating over you. I don't know. I, anyway, this is and I, I think that hit it on the, the nail head. Yeah. Why I hated that scene. Because I just it, like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm tired of it. Like, don't don't keep doing that to gay men too that it's all about sex it's only about over the top flamboyance it's only about being blunt and a bitch and it's only about this it's not true that is not true yeah and we never really see che as being vulnerable or hurt or no not really no kind of like so okay sorry i'm gonna calm down (laughs) i'm gonna take a beat because that really, that can you, really. Can fired you pull me your up. dick back a bit? Can I just like put my dick back in my <laughs> fucking trousers? <laughs> trousers. <laughs> what am I wearing right now? Trousers. Your your penis pocket, as the kids call it. <laughs> oh wow, those kids surprising me at every turn. Every turn. Oh, so what else did I love? Well, Molly and Danny. Oh. The unsung heroes of this show because the fashion was everything and they were shit on by every 
single person at every single time. No. Oh, you mean in this documentary? I thought you meant yes. with criticism. No, no, yeah. no, no. I think like everyone was so mean to them at all times. And they were like, yep, okay, got it, done. We're moving forward. This has to, like, we need to do our work here. You can't just come in and ruin our lives today. We have to keep moving forward. It's like the law of dreams, right? Like, <laughs> Are you talking about Michael Patrick King? Oh, and Sarah Jessica Parker. Did some you of find she was instincts, rude to that? Well, some of the instincts she had were too stupid. Like that hat, <laughs> that hat, it's, well, my, um, Michael, Michael Patrick King was right. That hat cat couldn't have been. She has like a very E.T. in the closet sensibility about clothes, I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like she wants to look like a, um, like one of those babies. Remember there's a photographer who took pictures of babies. Anne Geddes, of, yes. Anne Geddes. She has to look like Anne Geddes baby. Like there has to be a hat. There has to be a hat. It's like, no, the, fr- the thing is take something, one thing off before you leave. You don't add one thing before you leave the door yeah. to go out. You don't put, now put on a crazy her hair was done like big and volume and crazy and then she puts a huge hat on it yeah i couldn't see her neck i couldn't see anything i'm sorry i have to calm down from that too this is making me very upset (laughs) look look i love a hat but i love a hat i thought the hats that she wore were occasionally weird in and just like that it seemed like she did have a strange obsession with hats that i'd never really New. associated with Carrie before? No, and they were like verging on Fascinator. Yeah, like the hat she wore for Big's funeral. I was like, eee. Really? I know we all love a hat. But you know what? One thing, we all love a hat. Let me just put that <laughs> out there. But one thing that I noticed with just the behind the scenes is that they had way too much access to yeah. everything. It was too much. They had thousands of everything and honestly I, I i just think it was a little unfocused i think they just were like and this and this oh and look we have 10 of those oh okay and that and that and that sometimes I mean, scarcity is good yeah and and you know watching Kristen davis's scenes i really liked that it was really interesting seeing how they built that tennis scene oh i the love tennis that episode. yes yeah i love that and i even her, love seeing the sketch and everything oh, of, of her storyboarding? playing tennis yes so i love cool. that like that—that's what goes into making a show. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and like I like just kind of offhanded. She says that was a really long day, but it was fun. Like that again was probably a sixteen-hour day. So they shot that those those like two minutes of airtime in probably over like the course of a week. Did you get the feeling that whenever they had group interviews and stuff, they over? sold that they were having a great time, that they were like yes. over laughing at all times. Like yeah. if Sarah Jessica Parker started to laugh, they all looked and like they had to start laughing too. And then, you know? Yeah. And Cynthia Nixon's enormous orange body water thermal flask also made me really that. uncomfortable. You see it in I so didn't many... notice that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know. There's just, just something she... about that that <sighs> I, yeah, something were... was up with Cynthia Nixon. I agree. I just don't, I didn't get the feeling. Well, it was funny when she came in and she was like, what's the, when she had to direct an episode, she said, what's the vibe? Like what's, and, and Michael Patrick King was like, well, you've, you've done this for 20 years and I think, you know, like how, why are you asking me what the vibe of this show is? Like, don't you know? Hmm. Stupid. Stupid bitch. Stupid bitch. Take that hat off. Yeah. I mean, I also thought it was interesting, like going back to the hat, how 
Carrie or how let's circle back to that house. Let's circle back to our favorite topic of conversation. Yes, how she talks about how when Michael Patrick King and her vision of who Carrie is doesn't mesh is like really hard. Hmm. I was like, oh, that's fascinating. There aren't many people Ooh. who are in that situation where you feel such ownership of a character that you feel like you own it. And someone and then, else actually owns it more. Like mate, probably legally. <laughs> legally owns it and also is your boss. Like you might be kind yeah. of the boss, but there is another boss who is truly calling the shots. Her body and face, like she was so joyful. This hat bring her brought her so much joy. She saw it all. And then when he made her take that off, it was like a visible. She shut down. She shut down. She was pissed. She was so pissed. She was pissed and... But like you said, it was the right decision. She looked ridiculous. But so uh, how she looked in general, though, Stafford was like, she's so attractive. You know what? That woman is so cool. I love her. Like, I really love her vibe as Sarah Jessica Parker, especially. You know, like, I just like it. But when she was really talking, I loved two things. Really, when she was talking about craft and... That she's not a trained actor, so she does need the environment. She does need these prompts. She does. She's just created her own way of her meth- her method, right? I thought that was great. But also I loved that she allowed herself to look pretty bad in some of these scenes. Not they polished. Showed, not polished. Like when she was like super, when she answered the door when after Big died, that was a brave moment. And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, and that's a choice. That is a choice. And I I really applauded that, like really appreciated it. And it drove it home when I saw that documentary. Yeah. I have a question for you. Hit me. More of a rhetorical question. Why didn't they, if they had so much of these clothes, the set pieces, all types of things in storage and they were preserved and like so much history. Oh, and also this photographer that followed them from the pilot throughout the whole series, two movies and this new series, like that behind-the-scenes photographer. Oh, that was cool. That was cool. Why wasn't there a a Met exhibit, a Fashion Institute of Technology exhibit, something going on to commemorate a book? Has there never been? Why, Why hasn't there been? Something to commemorate this moment that the public could go to. I guess COVID is a bad time, but... Oh, here's one. Sex in the City hardcover is a must-have for any Sex in the City. Oh, there's a movie book. There's a movie book. Oh, okay, so there has it's been a hardcover, 176-page gem. I'm oh, sorry, here's what? one. Sex in the City Kiss and Tell, packed with 750 full-color photographs, complete with an introduction by SJP. Hmm. Okay, but would okay if who doesn't go to New York and do that tour or at least see the the place or whatever? Like, would you not go to New York? And go look at a Sex in the City exhibition. Like, would you yeah. not love to see the clothes on mannequins styled as Carrie and all the other characters and everything like that? I think it was a big missed opportunity. They do Sex in the City tours in New York. Oh, they do. I know. Yeah. Friend of oh, mine... have you been on one? No, but a friend of mine did one. And it was really funny. The tour operator told a really funny story, apparently, that she dated Carrot Top. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Oh, what's this? Sex in the City immersive experience comes to London. Okay, I am. Why am I? I should have done some research. Oh, here's a brand new pop up event in Covent Garden. 
What? We'll celebrate the influential 20-year-old series. Hmm, that looks fun. Okay, so I'm full of shit. I shouldn't have brought that up. I should have Googled it once to see if it was in the in the making. Oh, and there's another one that hold is doing a, a handbag ex- exhibition that features some of some of the bags. Oh, that's smart. From SJP. Anyways, not not to not to imply that you are completely wrong, but my brief Google. <laughs> You're not implying it. You're actually proving it. <laughs> one uh, one quick Google. Um, anything else from the documentary before we kind of, I want to talk about just general thoughts, you know what I mean? Like about the show and, and stuff like that. I think like that's that. it for me. It was, it, it kind of, it confirmed what I felt about Sarah Jessica, that yep. she is a boss. She's a boss. And yeah, I think that yeah. through her career, she's probably had some pushback and maybe some judgment from that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I know this is a snippet and like, it's a very controlled look at how she interacts with other people but never once did she seem rude or out of uh, out <laughs> of right. line You're for right. it's like she's the star of the show and the executive producer she is the boss she is the boss oh god did i love the documentary i actually really liked it i thought it was very engaging very well done i even liked that they had Kim Cattrall and some of the flashback scenes, like they didn't, you know, they didn't have any Mr. Big, <laughs> but no. they had Kim Cattrall and, you know, a couple of the scenes um, and just generally really liked it. It was a good way to punctuate the ending of that series. It was nice. It was nice that they did that. It I loved well it. Done. And like I said, I would, I would take a behind this behind the scenes documentary for every show. Absolutely. Give it to me. Absolutely. Love it. So, that now we're 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 a few weeks after the end of this series. How, what are your some of your thoughts? What are your final thoughts? Where do we go from here? You still want a second series? Do you yes. want it to go on? Me too. Like unequivocally, yes. So, and just like that is did not get great ratings. We're not no. surprised by this. Oh, I think reviews. I think it's around yeah reviews. I think it's around forty nine percent. Yeah, on so Rotten it's not Tomatoes. Certified e. fresh. No, it's certified like a turd. Rotten. <laughs> but certified I think fresh it did turd. really well. Honestly, I think a lot of people watched it. That's the thing. I think it was a a people's hit, of a, a ratings hit. Yeah, HBO. I mean, so if if we're if we're basing it on um, Rotten Tomatoes, the average was forty nine percent. Oof. Um, yeah, it's not great. Um, Metacritic, like, like four out of ten. Well, no. So actual audience was lower than critic, which is interesting. Oh my god. Um, oh sex, god. so Sex in the City. I know no one wants it. Sex in the City average rating was seventy percent. So it's kind of Ugh. funny, right? Um, you know what? And that's fair. Well, seventy percent doesn't seem very high either, actually. But what? No, because but, they because critics what? did not like season one. Oh, Isn't that so funny? it brought it all down. They loved season four and season six. And then the other ones are in like 60s and 70s. And season one is mm. 44%. Well, season one sucked. And, I, <laughs> you know, I want it to come back. I enjoyed it. I think that if they came back, they would actually, it would be, it would get, be getting really meta because they would be correcting, correcting things that they thought were correcting things. I really think yeah. they would be very self, self-conscious to like steer the ship aright. I think... You know, I think the sophomore season would do really well. I think they would really get into the stride that they need to 
They need the second season. They need the second season. Carrie has a boyfriend. Like Miranda could just There's maybe leave and go find herself in India because no one wants to no, see her anymore. No, in L.A., in L.A. She'll just stay there she'll after just the pilot. Stay there. Yeah. I mean, and maybe don't let Cynthia Nixon contribute to creative decisions in season two. Cut her out. Just let her act. Don't don't let her do anything. She directed. I thought her direction in that episode was excellent. So I do think that they could let her direct a little bit more, but with no input for storyline. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see more LTW. Oh, and more SEMA. Mm-hmm. Please, more Naya. I liked all of... That's the thing. I really liked what they introduced as far as secondary characters. They just didn't give them enough. They didn't flesh it out enough. No. And... Um, they could continue to do that. They fleshed out Che too much. I'm curious what the budget was. Didn't it make you wonder what the budget was? High, high, high budget. Like, like how high? Like 60 million? Yeah, like really high. Like really high. Um, But I think, yeah, I don't know. Let's hope that season two gets picked up and that it's still a high budget because what if they have to cut right down? But one thing that I was like, Oh my God, I was right. What? Of course you are. Was uh, I wrong? The revival. It was made on a sixty-five million dollar budget. Why am I wow. so good at guessing numbers, Ricky? It, it looked lux. I have to say, it looked so lux. Everything was like nicely done. You know, like the the details were beautiful. It was shot gorge in a gorgeous way. Like I was, I was impl- impressed. I was pleased by that. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that was oh about the documentary that everything. Oh wait, never that, mind. Sorry, that was wrong. That was fake news. <laughs> was that the the movie? Oh okay. Yeah, it was the movie that was made for that. Remember when they said the writers said that nothing went in the script that didn't happen in real life, and I'm like, does that mean that someone did that? Got that smoke thing? Did that smoke thing with someone else? Okay, let's pause. Are you telling me that seriously? No one has ever done that to you. Blown smoke in my mouth. <laughs> like, wait, weed. what are you talking about? That's never happened to you. I've only smoked weed like once in my life, and I hated it. Oh, okay. So wait, it... wait, wait, wait! Ah, <laughs> gross! I have to. You, someone has you smoke like breathed in someone else's weed. Yes. What yeah. are you talking about? It seems sexy when you're like twenty in New Zealand with a surfer. Of course I'm going to say yes to that. That was pre-COVID. <laughs> oh, it was pre-standards for you. <laughs> okay, so that's happened to someone. I, I'm learning something very new here. Yes. Meredith, where do we go from here? What's happening? What do we do? What do we do? Oh, I have. I, I know what we're doing next. Tell me, because I'm not clued in. <laughs> well, we're, we're going into the archives. So the... Until this show gets picked up, Meredith and I are going to review, talk about, research, dig deep, deep dive into previous episodes of Sex and the City. So we're going there. So now you have to watch the original series with us. Follow along. We're going to go deep. We're going to go into it. We're going to we're going to go deep. We're going to rock out with our cocks out. (laughs) We're going to let our dick and pussy guide us through this next phase. Right? Like, as as anyone would say. As anyone. That metaphor is well used. The common the common terminology for how you're guided in life. <laughs> Straight okay. up. 
Are you? <laughs> is I your dick guiding I you straight the up? Budget. So oh, I was looking for this the whole time because I hate I hate perpetuating fake news. Okay. So um, it looks like the stars got one million per episode <gasps> for the revival. Yeah. What? Um, and I think it no was no wonder made... they were laughing whenever Sarah Jessica laughed. Yeah, because they're like, I would do ah, anything thank, you for, thank you for the thank you for the money. <gasps> um, Kristen Davis can now get like really high end plastic surgery that obviously she couldn't get before. She doesn't, Ricky. Uh... I'm sorry. She looked like the Joker in the first episode, and then it calmed down. She, I know exactly what happened. Kristen Davis, you know, she's beautiful, but she got this role and was like, went into the plastic surgeon, into the cosmetic surgery place, and said, "Do something here." And and then it and she started filming, and it was still settling, and then it looked better as we went throughout the series. Yeah, I'm just okay. saying it's true. I'll give you that. It's a fact. I'll give you that. A um, million dollars per episode. So $10 million. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. And Sarah Jessica Parker probably made more than that. Well, I think that that was what the star, what the, each like of all the, of yeah, them she made. probably made more for, from her executive producer credits. Yeah. She had a bit more of credit. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Good for them. I love that. Good for them, right? Glory be. Yes. They Good all receive them. the same salary. Wow. Equity. Yeah, which I actually really love. Like, I wish that well, actually was standard. So it's like, if, you, if you're if you a certain, ma- like, level, like, even in the corporate world, if you're a certain management level, you all make this. Yes, but Sarah Jessica to, Parker was in, like, twice as many scenes as Kristen Davis. Then I'm sure That's she got... Kristen Davis is so happy. Yeah, probably. She is, like, the most thrilled behind the scenes of everything. That's why she was so enjoyable. She was enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go back into the archives. Uh, we're going to start with season one, which is the most hated season of all. And which just pick means out it'll a few. be the best. Yeah, we'll just pick out a few. But I think we like I think we have to do the pilot. We have to go to the origin okay. story. OK, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Carrie had an Ikea apartment like in like basically in in the um, in the Bowery. I don't know where she was living in that first episode. It's so I was going to say Queens, but then I didn't know if that was offensive. I don't know, but it was it was something. It, it was, was like rough. a rat hole. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm excited. We're gonna go. Me back. too. I can't wait. And um, so you'll have to go back with us and follow along and keep up. Like, share, like, give us five star, five star ratings, please only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, review us on podcast. Like, you know, if you want to give some constructive <laughs> feedback, we fine. We like it. Yeah. You know, we we're, it's fine. Um, but keep it going, everyone. Follow us on... And just um, like what pod? Yes, on Instagram, and, and we're going to make it a thing. We're keeping, we're keeping the party going. Thank you, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.